tonight and our opportunity to honor Ron and Claudia and uh, for 30 years in evangelism and I can't think of anybody I would rather honor more because they have honored the Lord and they've honored uh, this church and they have honored the Lord with their testimony and uh, we're going to have an opportunity to, to say thank you to them for 30 years of serving God on the road and ministering to churches all across this part of the country and uh, being used of God in so many ways. We've had the privilege of doing a couple of revivals together, and uh, they're just a joy to be around. And uh, when they're not here, I get notes from them, and they send their offering in the mail, and uh, they are faithful to God in good times and in lean times. And so we're, we're going to have a privilege. Ron and Claudia, thank you, and we're glad uh, that we're going to get to do that today. Karen Baines wrote a parable called a brawling bride. And in that parable, she talks about the fact that there is a wedding. And in this wedding, the groom is standing at the front, and the pastor's there, and the groomsmen are there, and the groom is in a spotless white tuxedo, anxiously awaiting for his bride to show up. The family's seated. The organist begins the wedding march. And the crowd turns to see the bride coming down the aisle. And when they turn, they gasp. You can almost feel the wind being sucked out of the room because the bride's dress is ripped and torn and soiled. She's got bruises all over her arms. One heel is missing off of one shoe. She's got a black eye. Her hair looks like she's been in a fight. And she hobbles down dirty and beaten up to the front. And Maines asked the question, does this groom deserve better than this? And yet, this is the church, his church, his bride, coming before him after having been in another fight. That describes a lot of churches. There's not a one of us here that hasn't been around long that you haven't heard about some church squabble, some church fight, some negative thing that's happened in the life of a church. Uh, you've heard about it. And what we are presenting to Christ is a beaten up, bruised up, fighting body that is not what he intends. And when I look at the church in America today, I know why American culture is going to hell in a handbasket. The blame is at the doors of the American church of all denominations. Because until we quit fighting and fussing, and by the way, I'm not telling you anything lost people hadn't already figured out. Until we quit fighting and fussing as the body of Christ... We will not have a witness in this world. Jesus said, behold how they love one another. The scripture for many churches could be, behold how they club one another. They just beat each other up. Now, I've got to go on record as saying some of the sweetest people I know in this world are in the church. And also have to say some of the meanest people I know in this world are in the church. Some of the most gracious people are in the church and some of the stingiest people in the church. Some of the greatest confidence I have are believers and some of the biggest gossips 
that I know call themselves Christians. Some of the most positive people in the world are inside the church, and some of the biggest whiners and complainers are inside the church. I mean, you meet them at the door, and they're just, they, they wouldn't be happy if Jesus was handing out a $1,000 bill. You're not going to give me any more? Is this all I get for all I do for you? I mean, they look like they've been drinking vinegar since they were born. You've met them. Don't look at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. You've met those people. Some of you left churches with those kind of people to come here to get away from those folks. We've all met them. I remember coming off the platform when I was my first full-time church in, in, in youth ministry. I remember coming off the platform, and we had a deacon-possessed church in that church. So that was, we had some guys that thought that they were God's gift to running and power. And, and this guy met me on the steps, and he reared his fist back at me. He was going to deck me. And I just bowed up, and I said, Brother, if you deck me, God will kill you right here on the spot. Now, you can trust what I say, or you can trust your impulse, but God will strike you dead if you touch me. And he dropped his hands down, walked away. The chairman of the deacons took him to the back and gave him a tongue lashing. I can remember one night I got a phone call, and they said, uh, So-and-so's coming over to your house, and he wants to call you out in the front yard and pick a fight with you. So I just stayed in, called the police. You know, my mama didn't raise an idiot. I don't have anything to prove. I'm not going to get in a spitting match with a guy that's got vinegar in his saliva. You and I know what this is about. We've all seen it. And one of the great things that we have in this church, and by the way, one of the things that the devil will attack is unity. Now, we've had some real negative people in this church, and, and I hate to say it, but, but bless God, they left, and, and they went and took their negativity somewhere else. And you know what? I hadn't lost a moment's sleep over them leaving. Now, there's somebody else's headache, and I feel sorry for that pastor, but you know, I don't get letters from them anymore. I don't hear negative comments. I mean, I just get to walk down the hall and smile and shake hands. It's just wonderful. Listen, folks, there are backdoor revivals that are greater than frontdoor revivals. Now, don't look at me like this. Y'all are acting like this is some, some new revelation. And by the way, if you're here today and you're a guest and you're in a church where they believe that a spiritual gift is fighting and fussing and you're tired of that, I got a church for you. Amen. It's this one. If you're not interested in being a part of a church where you've got to have two-hour business meetings to decide which vacuum cleaner you're going to buy, this is the church you need to come to. If you want to get away from fighting on the one day you have off, I would encourage you to think about this one. I've been here 15 years. We've never had a volatile business meeting. We've never had a volatile deacons meeting. We've never had controversies that have led to quarrels and fussing and fighting on the church floor. And as long as God graces us with that, I'm rejoicing in it. A church committed to unity. And that's what we are supposed to be. Now, the theme of Philippians is rejoice, but there was something that was keeping the rejoicing from going on. And there was these two women... H.A. Ironside called him odious and soon touchy. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Now, these are faithful people. 
These are people that have been a part of Paul's ministry. Together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You see, if God is for unity, the devil is for disunity. If God is for harmony, the devil's trying to stir things up. And he'll always try to find somebody. And Paul was always dealing with either opposition from the outside or controversy on the inside of the church. And so the first thing he writes about is the problem of unresolved conflicts. The problem of unresolved conflicts. This is the only time that you see these two women in, in the Bible. The only time you see their names. Now guess what? We're going to meet them in heaven. Because Paul says that they are shared in his struggle in the cause of the gospel. So we know they're saved. Can, 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 I just can't wait. I, I can't wait. You know, after I've met Jesus and I've been there a few thousand years, I'll be walking down the street one day and, and there come these two women. And I say, hi, I'm Michael. What's your name? She says, I'm, I'm uh, soon ticky. And it's, oh, you're that woman in Philippi that couldn't get along with her. Where's your, where's your buddy that you couldn't get along with? How would you like to be remembered for all eternity in God's written word as a woman that couldn't get along with somebody else? That's a testimony, isn't it? You know, what, what if we put that on the epitaph? Big mouth, uncooperative. She lived, she died. Thank God she's gone. Couldn't get along. Couldn't work out their differences. And Paul says, this has got to stop. Why? Because you are one in Christ, and if you are one in Christ and you're both in Christ, then you need to be one with each other. You need to be in harmony with each other. Barclay says a quarreling church is not a church at all. It is one from which Christ has been shut out and to which he cannot gain access. All we know about these two ladies is that they were in a struggle with each other and they could not get along. What if your life were summed up in one sentence? How would it be summed up? Paul sums up the lives of these two ladies in one sentence. They're in disharmony. They're not getting along. And by the way, if you're ever in a church because you can't get along with somebody and you leave, you won't get along with somebody in the next one. you got to fix it. The only way God can honor leaving one church and going to another one is that you fix what's wrong before you leave. It's fine if you leave and go somewhere else, but you got to fix what's wrong before you do it. Otherwise, you're taking baggage and sin into a new church and you're tarnishing that church because you won't leave that feeling alone. Left unchecked, it will fester inside of you. And somewhere along the line, it will come out. Let me read you James chapter 4 and verse 1 from the message. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have and are willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours and will risk violence to get your hands on it. Now, I want you to look at that, that phrase again. These two women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, their names contradict their behavior. Our names mean things. My name, Michael, means angel of God. Sometimes I don't act like that. 
Sometimes I'm not an angel. I know some of you think I am, and I appreciate that. But you hadn't seen me early in the morning. What well, your name has a meaning. Your, your name has some meaning about it. Well, let's, let's look at them. The first one, uodia, means sweet fragrance. It means sweet fragrance. But there was a stench in the air. There was a problem in the church because she wasn't being a sweet fragrance. Remember Paul talks about in Corinthians about us being a sweet aroma as believers? Well, she was supposed to be a sweet fragrance, but she wasn't. And then there's Sinteki, and her name means congenial. Now, here's the problem. One was not being a sweet fragrance, and the other one wasn't being very congenial. I could just see them passing in the hall on their way to Bible study. Ducking in another room, make sure they don't have to talk. You see, their name and their nature did not match. By the way... We call ourselves Christians, which means that we're supposed to be like Christ. Does our name and our nature match up? Phillips translates it, Iodius and Sintiki, I beg you by name to make up your differences as Christians should. Now, Paul was not general with this. Paul didn't say, I understand there are some people that can't get along. Paul names them. He begs them by name. This letter is not only read in Philippi, but most of the letters of Paul were circular letters. They would go to any of the churches that he had established, and the people in other churches would read them. Paul is saying, I'm going to call you out and call you to the altar. I'm going to name you so that you can come and repent and get this right, so that people can hear that you've gotten it right, and I'm going to ask the church to help make sure you get it right and you don't sweep this under the rug, so that there is a testimony of reconciliation. Why? Because Matthew says that we have a process on how to get things right. Galatians 6 says that you who are spiritual are supposed to restore those who have fallen. And so Paul is taking biblical principles, and he's saying, now, Here are the two people that have the problem, and here's what we need to do to work it out. And so there's this problem of disunity. Now, all through Paul's letter, he's been talking about unity and love and fellowship. Look at what he says. He says, live in harmony in the Lord. That doesn't mean that they were supposed to agree on every color of everything or every style or what team they supported. It meant that when they disagreed, they weren't disagreeable. Live in harmony in the Lord. Look back at chapter 1. Paul has been dealing with this theme over and over in the Scripture, and we really have to get to chapter 4 before we know why he's been dealing with it so much. Chapter 1 and verse 9, he prayed that their love would abound. He prayed that their love would abound. Look down in chapter 1 and verse 27. He exhorts them... And he's speaking to these two ladies as well as to the whole church. He exhorts them to stand fast in one spirit and with one mind. Chapter 2 and verse 2. Be of one accord. Now that's not a Honda. Okay? Be of one accord of one mind. Chapter 2 and verse 14. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. And so Paul has been emphasizing over and over the importance of harmony and oneness 
and not disputing and not grumbling. And here are two ladies that are doing this. You see what he's doing. They're reading this letter along and everybody in the church is sitting there listening to this letter of Paul being read to them. And they're all probably cutting their eyes around the room looking at these two ladies. One sitting on this side and one sitting on this side. This one's got her followers on this side. This one's got her followers on this side. And everybody in the middle is trying to figure out which one's right. And Paul's saying over and over again, you get this right, you get this right. You be of one mind. You have one love. You be of accord. You don't grumble. You don't dispute. And everybody knows who he's talking about. And then they get down to chapter 4, which really wasn't a chapter when it was written. And he says, oh, by the way, let's go ahead and name the two people y'all are thinking about. Let's put it out in the open. Now, can you imagine what would happen if I got up and read the names of people that I know gossip in this church from the pulpit? I'd be in the squawk box tomorrow. <laughs> because they wouldn't quit gossiping. They'd just go to the Albany Herald and gossip at the squawk box. Can you imagine? They'd leave. Oh, I'm so offended. He mentioned me by name. Well, Paul didn't seem to be worried about mentioning somebody by name. So I'll just go ahead and name them. <laughs> we'll buy our heads for a moment if you need to slip out. Scared you, didn't I? <laughs> but you know what? God knows who you are. If 95% of the people in this church don't know that you're a gossip or undermining or that you're in a dispute, God knows it. And that God knows it ought to matter more to you than that the church knows it. That there's a problem. That God is aware should be more of a conviction to you that I would know or anybody in this church would know that there's a problem. And so, Paul is writing, and he says there should be no grumbling and no disputing. Let's just talk about those two quickly. Number one, most grumbling is due to not having all the facts. Most people that grumble don't have all the facts. I, I've been in conversations this week where people are just grumbling and speculating and they're, they're in an uproar. Look, you don't know the facts. You don't know all the facts. Until you know all the facts, quit speculating, quit wondering, quit, quit letting your mind get out there ahead of you and get in trouble. You don't know the facts yet. Secondly, most disputing is due to jealousy. Most disputing is due to jealousy. The reason we get in a dispute with somebody is because we're jealous of some position they got or recognition they got or, or some honor or some, what they own or envying, coveting, whatever you want to call it. Now, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you'll find that, that Paul writes about the things that happened to Israel were an example to us, things that we should avoid. And there are five things mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we are to avoid as believers that are displeasing to God, that brought God's judgment on them. If you take time to read 1 Corinthians 10, you'll find that God killed thousands of them that day because of these reasons, five reasons, and these five led to 3,000 dying. Okay, number one, craving evil things. Craving evil things. God is displeased when his people crave evil things. Number two, idolatry idolatry. God is displeased when anybody has another God other than him. He said in the Ten Commandments, you'll have no other gods before me. Number three, immorality. There was immorality. There was sensuality. Number four, testing the Lord. Testing the Lord. They put the Lord to a test. 
And then number five, grumbling. Now, the average person, if you said, what is it that really displeases God? They'd say, oh, I tell you what displeases God, craving evil things, idolatry, and immorality. You got that. But God puts grumbling in the same passage with idolatry. Now, think about that one for a minute. When I'm grumbling, I am doing what the people of Israel did in the Exodus, which God judged them for as much as he judged them for building a golden calf. So if I sit in my Sunday school class or sit at a coffee table or around a table around coffee or if I go out to a restaurant and I'm grumbling and I'm complaining about something and I'm in a dispute, God says in 1 Corinthians 10, these things happen as an example so you won't make the same mistakes. God warns us that he views grumbling just like he does craving evil things, immorality, and idolatry. That means that God takes grumbling very serious. And I'm sure that these two ladies were grumbling. What happens? Unresolved conflicts bring grumbling in a church. And unresolved conflicts do more damage to churches than demonic attacks. I mean, we keep looking for demons under every rock sometime in our churches, but I want to tell you, just our old flesh wanting its way does more damage on churches. The devil doesn't have to work against most churches. We provide our own opposition. And you see, if Satan can get two Christians at odds with each other, then he can destroy the fellowship with those two Christians and hamper the fellowship in the whole body. And so Paul is writing about this conflict, this unresolved conflict, and and there are times in every one of our lives, if we're honest, when we have cooperated with the devil by grumbling, by disputing, by gossiping, by backbiting, by sharing something that we didn't need to share, by talking about something we didn't need to talk about. Secondly, the problem of the uncontrolled tongue, which leads me to the second point. These people aren't living in harmony, and, and you know and ladies, I'm not picking on you, just, this just happened to be two women. But you know that nobody that has a problem with somebody ever keeps it to themselves. You know, one of them goes over here and says, Do you know what she did to me? She hurt my feelings. She hurt my feelings. I, I'm upset. I know you have a right to be upset, sweetheart. And this one over here is going... Well, I tell you what, she's just as arrogant as any one person I've ever seen in my life. So, you know, I've noticed that about her too. I'm telling you, she's just arrogant. She's full of pride. And so she gets her little group. This one gets a little group. And, of course, in a dispute, you only share with somebody what you want them to know. You don't share the whole story because the whole story might make you look bad. So you only share your side of the story. Paul Harvey says, and now the rest of the story, usually when you get the two together, you get the rest of the story. And so there's this dispute going on, and and Paul is trying to help us understand that, that this can't happen. Because if it's just two ladies, that might be one thing, but everybody in the church is beginning to be impacted by this. And so he tells us about the uncontrolled tongue. By the way, turn to James chapter 3, and I want to read Psalms 145 to you. While you're turning to James 3, I want to read Psalm 145. 
I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and you shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. That's what our tongues are supposed to be used for, to praise God. James chapter 3 and verse 6 says, and the tongue is a fire and the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds and of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a relentless evil, restless evil, and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. Folks, if we took, if we individually, forget what anybody else in this room does, if we individually took verse 10 seriously, it would stop half of our conversations. Your cell minutes would go down in half. You could save money by just not talking about people. I've got a friend of mine said, you know, he said, I don't, I don't call anybody anymore. I said, why? He said, I quit talking about people and I got nothing to say. <laughs> just think, your cell bill would go down. Your long distance bill would go down. You'd be a happier person. If we just do, let's just say if... 50% of the churches, church members in America, obeyed verse 10. Just did what verse 10 says. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought not to be this way. Okay, God, it's not going to be that way with me anymore. We'd have revival in America in 60 minutes. We would. Just by us obeying that verse. The problem is, instead of using our tongues to praise God and talk to others about God, we use our tongues to talk about others and whine to God about what's not right in our lives or what's not fair in our lives. Matthew chapter 12. Look at Matthew chapter 12 quickly. Matthew chapter 12. And by the way, there's not a person in this room that hasn't been scarred by somebody with a careless tongue. And I want to tell you, folks, it's not just adults. It happens with first graders and second graders and preschoolers that talk and run down kids because they look a certain way or because they're not like them. It happens in middle school and in high school. It happens to all of us, and all of us have been scarred and gone home feeling alone and hurt because somebody said something that wounded us deeply. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, 
and by your words you will be condemned. Oh, I wish he hadn't put that in the Bible. Every careless word you shall give an account for. You ever done this? Hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Hey, everything. Hey, good, great, great, great. Good to see you. I cannot stand that person. They drive me crazy. I'm just, I'm grinning, but I'm bearing it. I'm just, I just, just drives me up a wall to be around that person. You ever done that? God heard that. God heard that. Did you hear about the lady that came to her pastor during revival and said, Pastor, I need to put my tongue on the altar. He said, Lady, we don't have an altar big enough for your tongue. He said, Your tongue's so long you could stand in the church worship center and lick the skillet in a fellowship hall. (laughs) Number three. I know that lady. The possibility of Christian unity. Now go back to chapter 2 of Philippians. The possibility of Christian unity. And we're going to look at a threefold prescription for unity. Chapter 2 and verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important. You could write the word superior. Regard one another as superior over you, more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Remember, this is the setup passage for the passage on Jesus humbling himself. So chapter 2 and verses 2 through 4 and chapter 4 and verse 2, live in harmony, gives us the first principle of unity. First of all, we live in harmony. Verse 2 of chapter 4, be like-minded. In other words, learn to think the same things as the Lord thinks. Chapter 2 and verse 2, be of the same mind, of same love, united in spirit. Since we belong to the Lord... And you belong to the Lord, and I belong to the Lord, and you belong to the Lord, and I belong to the Lord. Since we belong to the Lord, not being able to belong and get along with one another is inconsistent with the characteristic of belonging to the Lord. And so Paul says we're to strive to live in harmony. You see, it's inconsistent to insist on my way because Jesus did not insist on his way. He said, not my will, but thine be done. And so we are to defer. There is a spirit of deference that needs to happen in the church, that we defer to someone else as more important than us, because after all, we don't have to get our way. It just has to be what the Lord wants and what the Lord wills, which leads to the second one. Not only live in harmony, but long for the mind of Christ. To long for the mind of Christ. When two people disagree... They need to take what they disagree on and submit it to the teachings of the Word of God. So I take my disagreement and I go before God's Word and I see what God's Word says. The secret to unity is humility. The reason for division is pride. You see, if I can humble myself, I can get something right with you. But if I won't humble myself, I'll create disunity because of pride in my life. 
there, there are three phrases that are hard for us to say. These are the hardest phrases for me to say, and if you're honest, they're the hardest phrases for you to say. Phrase number one, I'm sorry. Phrase number two, I was wrong. Number three, will you forgive me? Now, if you can get over yourself enough where you can say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? You can move on. And it's water under the bridge. It's over. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You, you see, he says, with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Little things cannot be left alone. Because if you try to leave them alone, they become a breach over which you can't build a bridge. One commentator said, we are far too quick to divide into factions, far too quick to justify and vindicate ourselves, but we can't justify ourselves without trying to discredit someone else. At this point, self takes the throne and Christ is dethroned and the church is divided. Now very quickly, turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, and I want to show you why this is so important. Mark chapter 11, and let's look at why this is so important. For longing for the mind of Christ. God has revealed to us how we're supposed to act. I don't know of any Christian that wouldn't want greater faith, more blessings, and answered prayer. And the key to greater faith and more blessings and answered prayer is found in Mark chapter 11. Mark 11 and verse 22. Jesus answered them and said, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he is, says is going to happen, it will be granted to him. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Boy, just, man, whatever obstacles in your way, you just pray, believe in your heart, know God's going to do it, and God does it. That's great, but he doesn't stop there. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Boy, that sounds good. Man, I'll just pray and ask and believe, and God's going to give it to me. That's, that's, man, that's great. Verse 25 follows that. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. Now look and underline the next phrase. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. He says, if you want to move mountains in your life, if you want to get rid of the obstacles in your life, if you want to see God work in your life in a new dimension, if you want to have a life of faith, if you want to have a life of blessings and the hand of God on your life, then pray and forgive. Because if you've got anything against anyone, you need to get that resolved so that your Father can forgive you. Verse 26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. Folks, the reason that you should want unity is because when you are at one with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are at one with God. And you cannot be at one with God and be broken on this plane. 
Now, I'm not talking about you sitting around speculating about, have I done anything? Have I done anything? Have I done anything? Have I, don't walk out of here and ask 58 people, have I said anything that hurt you? Have I said anything? I'm talking about that God convicts you that you're in a wrong relationship with somebody, that there's a broken fellowship with somebody, and God's Holy Spirit, as you are praying, says to you, you need to get that right. Then go get it right. This is not speculation and just throwing things up in the air and saying, well, I'll just ask everybody to forgive me. This is a specific command that we are to go to those that we have something against and get it right. Then number three, learn from the negative effects of disunity. Verse three, Paul enlists others to help him because disagreements are never a private matter. Folks, turning our head and ignoring our responsibility is not a solution. If you know that two people are at odds with one another and you don't do something about it, you've contributed to the problem and you're not helping the solution. So, if you know somebody that's having a problem with someone else, you need to be a mediator. You need to follow Philippians chapter 4 and verse 3 and you need to be a mediator to try to bring those people together so that in bringing those people together they can be harmony and there can be unity and there can be love and there can be forgiveness and the devil doesn't get a foothold. Listen, you can't sweep these things under the rug. If you keep doing that, you're going to trip under, over the pile that you've made. You can't sweep it under the rug. I want you to listen very closely to this quote from Bill Hivels. When your nose does get bent out of joint, not if, but when, you have a biblical responsibility to take the high road of conflict resolution. If someone with a nose bent out of joint comes to you for a won't you join my cause conversation, you have a biblical responsibility to interrupt mid-sentence and say, I think you're talking to the wrong person. Please go to the individual with whom you're having this conflict and seek to resolve it in a God-glorifying way. Folks, you want to know what will lead to revival in your own heart? Making sure you're right with others so you can be right with God. Because not being right with others will keep you from being right with God. It may be a letter, it may be a phone call, it may be a face-to-face, but there's nothing that is so big that you can't resolve it with the help of the Holy Spirit inside of you, helping you, going before you, going with you, and coming behind you to resolve that conflict so that there can be peace and there can be unity and there can be love and a oneness of mind and of spirit in the body of Christ. Let's stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you may say, yeah, I I knew you Christians were like that. People that fight and fuss, well, there's very little of that in this church that I'm aware of. I've been here a long time, and I've seen a lot of things. But I can tell you this, at least we have a God who helps us resolve it. Without the Lord, you don't have that help. And some of you are wrestling with personal relationships right now and unresolved conflicts. 
Some lost and some are saved. But there's a conflict, there's a barrier, there's a wall that's been built. And, and rather than taking it to the Lord and resolving it with a person, you've included other people and you've spread the problem out. Listen, folks, gossip is sharing something with someone who's neither part of the problem nor part of the solution. That's what gossip is. And these two ladies weren't getting along. There may be two ladies or two men or two young people or, or a, a mom and a dad or uh, parents and kids that are not getting along right now. You need to get that thing resolved. Because you're going to miss God's blessings on your life if there's unconfessed sin in your life. And the only reason you won't resolve it is pride. That'll be the only reason. If you'll die to your pride, you can resolve the conflict. But you're going to have to take the first step. You're not going to be able to wait for them to come do it. You've got to make the first step to go do it. So this altar is open. Our ministers are here at the front. If you're looking for a church home and you want a place where there's not fussing and fighting and arguing and wrangling and yelling and shouting at each other, which there are in some churches, then I would encourage you to prayerfully consider this church as your church home, to be a part of this church where we work these things out. They're not always fun, but we work them out for the good of the body of Christ. So while they sing, I want to ask you to step out, and I want to ask you to come. Christians, those of you that know that you're right on this, I'm going to ask you to pray that God will speak to the hearts of people that need to get things right today, all right? So as they sing, you step out and come right now. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, oh can do this for you now, we can help you you can ask a Christian brother or sister in Christ to go with you to 
get something straightened out. But you have to decide that being in right relationship with Jesus Christ is more important than who's right. It's more important than if you get your way. And in a self-centered society like this, doing something that makes the church stronger and glorifies God is not in our fleshly nature. We have to choose by an act of our will to obey what God says we're supposed to do. We have to decide that we do not want to be a hindrance to revival or a work of God so we get things right. Now, by the way, if you've got something against somebody and they don't know it, don't go tell them. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I've hated you and I didn't even know it. Hey, just get it right with God and with yourself. I don't need to, if I don't know, I don't need to know. Okay, this is not a bloodletting. This, this is just you and God and how God prompts you that you need to deal with something. You know, don't walk up to somebody that says, you know, I don't even know who you are and I don't like you. Don't, don't do that. Go home and get right with God and then treat them the right way. That's what you need to do. Folks, listen, we're a matter of weeks away from refresh. And there's somebody in this room that needs to get something right. And if you don't, you could hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in the next few weeks. That's how important it is. One of the stories of the Welsh revival is that there were testimony services and people were sharing testimonies and people were being saved. It was in the middle of the revival. I mean, people were standing outside the churches trying to hear what was going on inside. And one man got up and started bragging about his sin instead of confessing it. And the eyewitnesses to that meeting said the Holy Spirit immediately left that meeting and it was over. That's how sensitive the Holy Spirit of God is to moving. He will not go where he's not wanted and he will not go where somebody else tries to share the glory. He will only go where he's given freedom to have absolute rule and reign. And so if we want God to work with us and to meet with us and to change our families and to change our homes, then we've got to make sure we're ready for it, for what God has for us. If you're our guest today, we hope that you take that guest form out to the welcome desk and we'd love to have a chance to meet you there in just a moment and we can direct you to a Sunday school class if you're a guest and you don't want to go into a Sunday school class at this point you're not sure about it we have a class called the bridge which meets in the chapel right across this hallway and uh, Stephen Kendrick teaches that class and there's music in there and uh, we do some singing in there and then Stephen teaches and uh, so you can go into that class there's not any questions or anything if you're not involved in a Bible study class right now we'd encourage you to go try that class this morning which meets at 11 o'clock well I've got some good news uh, tomorrow Jay and Emily Flint uh, will arrive here Jay is going to be our new minister of sports and recreation uh, we've interviewed him and spent time uh, talking to him and uh, several of the staff have had an opportunity to meet Jay Jay and Emily have two small children one's a two-year-old and one's about 10 weeks old they're moving here from Mississippi and uh, he's going to be in charge of our sports park and in charge of our Family Life Center. 
Uh, we're going to have somebody that's full-time working to make sure our Family Life Center gets beefed up to what it needs to be and our sports park is developed like it needs to be. And we've been in an interview process with various people for about the last three or four months, really, just trying to find God's man for this position. So Jay and Emily are coming. They'll be here tomorrow. Here's what I want to ask you to do. They announced that they had resigned. They left their church. Their home has sold. They're moving their furniture here. Last Sunday night, when they got home from church, they got a phone call. Emily's dad dropped dead suddenly of a heart attack. So they are moving here. Her parents lived in Little Rock. They're moving here with two small children one week after her father's died to a new place they've never been and to a new church. And I need you to help us love on them, all right? If you can help with babysitting the children this week while they're looking for houses, then if you'll please call Jim McBride's office and let him know so we can do that. They'll be staying at the Strauss house this week. If you can help provide a meal one night, then if you'll call Jim and let them know so that they don't have to worry about anything but finding a house. They've got to go back and get their furniture, but they're getting here tomorrow. So Jay and Emily will be here tomorrow, and they're the newest members of our staff. And we're excited about what God's going to do through recreation and through our sports park and our facility there. This afternoon at 4 o'clock is a Sherwood story. If you're a guest, we'd love for you to come and find out about Sherwood. You don't have to join, but we'll tell you everything you need to know. And we'll meet you in the atrium at 4 o'clock this afternoon and take you to where Sherwood story starts. All right? Now, 15-second blessing. You've still got time to start Sunday School 11. Find somebody in the next 15 seconds and love on them, all right? And if we are the body of 